40 odd years later or something like that, I still don't know what Terrigen is. What distinguishes you is not your tool, but the question. When you have a, your father on TV. I'm passionate about what I do, so it's not, it's not hard. But it was easy in the early days because was, everything was new. Let me tell you, you deliver cookies on a stick and one of your deliveries is your high school girlfriend, you quickly find out what you want to do in your life. Hello and welcome to Biomarkers, the audio series that archives the oral history of organic geochemistry. I'm your host, Fatima Hussein, and I'm here today with my series co-creators and fellow organic geochemists, Angel Maharo and Juliana Drozd. So for today's episode, we spoke with Ken Peters, adjunct professor at the Stanford Department of Geological Sciences and principal author of The Biomarker Guide. In our conversation, Ken reflected on his career and the insights he's gained over a lifetime of geochemistry. So let's get started. Uh, I'm Ken Peters, and uh, historically, I've been known as a petroleum geochemist. Uh, I also uh, am interested in basin petroleum system modeling. So I've done a lot of different types of geochemistry in my career. Uh, I had a very interesting career, a very diverse career, which was quite satisfying. I worked for three different oil companies. Uh, I worked for um, the US government, US Geological Survey. Uh, I worked for a service company, uh, Schlumberger. And I worked for several different universities. And I'm, I'm involved right now uh, at the at Stanford University in our Basin and Petroleum System Modeling Industrial Affiliates Program. Uh, so we're, we're, using, uh, we're using geochemistry uh, in our uh, numerical modeling uh, efforts. And uh, that's a, basically a continuation of the teaching I did when I was in the industry. So I'm retired now, uh, but I'm probably as busy as I ever was, maybe more so. Uh, I have to say that it is, uh, it's a pleasure to, to have uh, the opportunity to, to talk to, uh, to people uh, about, about my career. We asked Ken what led him to petroleum and organic geochemistry in the first place. Well, you know, uh, my dad was a high school chemistry teacher. And uh, I guess I, I got my, uh, my uh, dedication to, to uh, work, maybe overwork from my dad because he, you know, high school teachers don't get paid that much money. So he did lots of things like uh, driver training and he ran the science fair in, in, uh, in my hometown. And uh, he, did, uh, he did a lot of different things to, to make ends meet. Uh, my mom was a uh, college English teacher. And when I was a little kid, she used to read a lot of stories to me. And so I, I, uh, I, I guess I had sort of an unfair advantage over a lot of kids because by, by the time I, I got into school, I, I, was already, uh, uh, I was already attuned to the fact that, uh, that reading and writing were really important. And I think that's something every graduate student that's, uh, that's going to the university needs to keep in mind is that it's not just uh, how specialized you are, how, you know, how, how well you, you can take tests, it's also how well you can communicate with people. So for me, uh, communication was really very important, but it was a little awkward because by the time I got to college, I, I, I was actually not the outgoing person I am now. <laughs> I was... Uh, I was actually uh, a bit shy, and uh, fortunately for me, uh, you know, I, I I ran into some some uh, outstanding, uh, you know, some some outstanding advisors, uh, and uh, they sort of took me under their wing, and I expressed interest in uh, in geology. I I knew since junior high that I was going to be a scientist of some sort. I just loved all science. I loved physics. I loved uh, chemistry. I loved biology. Uh, by the time I got to entering college, uh, there was this strange topic called geology that I really didn't know too much about. But I did know that since I liked so many different fields in, in sciences, that geology was appealing to me because it's sort of at the crossroads of many of these sciences, you know, 
a good geologist knows about uh, a lot of different things and they use a lot of different uh, sciences uh, that you might categorize as being outside of geology, but you know, biology, chemistry, biochemistry, physics, all of these things come into, uh, come into geology. Uh, I was, you know, you can't, uh, you can't sort of uh, overlook the fact that I was also pretty lucky. You know, there's serendipity. I was lucky. I met the right people who, who turned me on to the right things uh, in, 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 in the sciences and in geology. I was also lucky in, in that um, one of the first courses I took, I didn't take the undergraduate courses in geology first. In fact, if I'd done that, I probably wouldn't have gone into geology because honestly, I have to tell you that the, the basic geology courses were a lot of memorization and you know, it was not, uh, to me, it wasn't exciting. I took an up, upper division course first. And I, rem I seem to recall it was uh, an optical mineralogy course. And it was an up upper division course. And it was, it was fantastic. I really enjoyed it. So I took another one. I took, a, in fact, as a, as a junior, I think I took a graduate course. And it was called Adventures in Earth History. And it was, uh, the book was, uh, was by the same title. It was written by Preston Cloud, uh, who, I, who I knew there at uh, UC Santa Barbara. And it was just fantastic. There were all these tremendous strides that were being made in geology at that time in history. You know, Tuzo Wilson and, and uh, well, I could go down a list of people, uh, you know, tectonics, uh, seafloor spreading, uh, you know, uh, all kinds of new ideas. And uh, of course, Preston Cloud was interested in Precambrian life, the origin of life and, and things like that. So I took that course and I was, I was hooked. I mean, I, um, I knew I, I still liked other sciences. I took a lot of organic chemistry. I probably have enough to get a degree in chemistry. Uh, I never went to the trouble of exploring that, but I, I took a year of biochemistry, a year of organic chemistry. Uh, I took genomics, I took uh, genetics, I took uh, microbiology, and um, all of those uh, played into my later career because uh, that sort of gave me the foundation that I needed to, to really uh, to get into uh, molecular geochemistry and also into basin and petroleum system modeling. So I, I have to say part of my career was serendipity. Uh, part of it was overcoming that um, tendency to be timid and not, uh, not express myself. I, I, I walked up to one gentleman and I said, I'd like to talk with you about this, about uh, geology and geochemistry. And uh, I, the reception was great. I got some people that really helped me to, uh, to get into it. And, and I took some courses early in, in my career that just really hooked me for the the rest of my career in, uh, in geochemistry. Speaking of serendipity. Everybody, I guess, uh, has some serendipity in their, in their career. Uh, I guess I was pretty lucky to meet the people I met. And, and I, I have to say that uh, uh, teachers, uh, we, we owe a lot to our, our mentors and our teachers because they're the ones that really uh, can, can, can show us things that we might not otherwise see. After completing his formal academic education, Ken joined the petroleum industry. Well, that's an interesting story and it's a little embarrassing. Uh, I'll tell you the truth. This is the truth now. Uh, when I started, uh, uh, I thought, well, I'm going to go to work in the petroleum industry for five years and then I'm gonna come back and do real research at the university. Yeah, that was my plan. And I went to the university. I went to the uh, I went to an oil company, and gee, the the salary was pretty nice. And gee, I don't have to write proposals all the time. I can just walk into my manager's office and say, you know, we really should be doing some res research in this area. And the manager would say, well, what are you waiting for? Go ahead. And the instrumentation was there. You know, many universities, the instrumentation is. Uh, not up to snuff. It's not the, the, the high-end kind of instrument, instrumentation and uh, equipment 
and, and support staff that you would have at a university. So, you know, uh, I, uh, after five years in the industry, I said to myself, well, do I really want to start writing proposals? Uh, do I really want to, uh, you know, do I really want to try to uh, uh, harvest or grow a bunch of students uh, without, uh, without a significant uh, support staff? Um, and uh, do I want to try to do this using instrumentation that I'm going to have to justify uh, to, that we purchase rather than just have it there ready to go? Uh, yeah, it was a, it was a, it was a sort of a, uh, I guess a coming to Jesus sort of, <laughs> sort of, uh, sort of realization on my part. I came to the realization that, gee, you know, uh, this is really not bad. Yes, there are ups and downs. Um, but uh, I can communicate, I can write, I can do science. I like doing uh, basically what I want to do. I got tremendous freedom uh, uh, to do the kind of work I wanted to do. And I didn't have to spend so much time writing proposals that I that detracted actually from doing real research. So it was a, it was a choice that... Uh, yeah, and, and what I ended up doing after years uh, in the industry is saying, well, you know, I, I still enjoy the concept of teaching, and uh, so I'll teach people within the company, but I'll also teach people at various universities. So I had, I mean, I'm a really pretty lucky guy. I, I got to teach uh, and get that satisfaction of, of helping students um, while I was also working in the industry, of course, I got had to get permission to do that, but uh, most companies are not going to worry about that uh, uh, too much. When I started writing the components of the biomarker guide, I guess I was driven by uh, a friendship I had with uh, John Hunt. John Hunt was an old-time geochemist. He used to run the uh, geochemistry for, uh, uh, I guess it was called Humble. Uh, they eventually became Exxon. He was the geochemistry uh, supervisor. He wrote a, a couple very nice books. Uh, in fact, I've got them up on the shelf here behind me. And uh, the latest one was 1996. And I said, you know, I should think about writing something. Um, uh, and I'd already kind of started by writing a number of uh, sort of a training uh uh, little little training, I, I wouldn't call them chapters. They were like a little training uh, memos that I send around to people. I sent around to people about different aspects of, of uh, biomarker uh, technology. And eventually that started to congeal into the idea that, gee, I could put a bunch of these together into a, into a book uh, that we could, not a book that's published, but an internal technical memorandum, a nice book, that documents all of this, uh, this kind of work. I was very fortunate again to be in a position where um, I was working with, um, I was working uh, at a lab uh, with Mike Muldowan and uh, it was basically for a couple, three years there, it was just him and me. And we had uh, six or seven support staff uh, Several of them were PhDs, mass spectrometry PhDs. So we had tremendous support, and the two of us moved mountains in terms of doing um, in do, doing geochemistry for the service company. And I I need to also say that we had a, a an ideal situation in that um, the geochemical coordinator for Chevron Overseas Petroleum at that time was Gerard de Maison, and Gerard was not really a geochemist, but he understood kinds of questions that needed to be answered by the by the business units and so he funneled those to us and so we had an ideal relationship where we got all these great uh, analytical questions that the basically the business units needed answers to and we we uh, we set to, we set about answering those Gerard was also very uh, instrumental in us getting the, the book actually published uh, the management would have never published it. It was going to be proprietary. But the argument was, look, this shows uh, the competition. This shows students out there who are trying to make a decision where they want to go, that we are the leader in this technology. And that, uh, 
he was able to convince the, the management, uh, the upper management, that this was a good idea. So in a way, again, there's serendipity. Uh, we, uh, we published the first book in 1993, and it was just uh, Mike Muldown and myself. Uh, and uh, then uh, years later, I finished with Mike and also Cliff Walters uh, while I was with uh, Mobile and also with ExxonMobil, we, we finished the, the second book in 2005, which is, you know, it's much, much expanded from the first book. And that, that again, uh, uh, required support from management to, uh, to, get it, uh, to get it published. The argument uh, that some people put forward is, well, why should we educate the competition and how to do this, right? Uh, the other argument on the other side was, gee, this, this shows that we're really good at what we do and that this is going to draw uh, the best, this is going to draw the best uh, students uh, for, for interviews for jobs. So, you know, it, it was kind of a combination of a lot of dedication. I spent my weekends and, and evenings and, and uh, I can recall going into work uh, at mobile at four o'clock in the morning, uh, week after week after week, uh, because that's when the phone wasn't ringing and, and I could write for a couple, three hours. And, uh, and uh, vacations, no, not much in the way of vacations, not much in the way of time off, but I was doing what I loved. And it, it came together very nicely. And my two uh, co-authors for the second book were, were great. They, were, um, they were, were very instrumental in us getting that finally uh, Finally done. <laughs> I was thinking about that just the other day. I, I, um, I went to, uh, I guess it's called Google Scholar, and I, and I, I looked at what they had on me, and uh, it, it's remarkable because some of some of the papers that I, I, I that I thought were sort of mediocre, uh, but were sort of show and tell papers, uh, those are the ones that got thousands of uh, citations. And some of my best work, my most interesting work, you know, there are only a few dozen people that have, have read those, those works. So it, it's, it's kind of, a, there's a little irony there. Um, I guess uh, it's hard for me to go into detail because I worked on so many different, um, there's a smorgasbord of different things that I've enjoyed in my career. But uh, I have to say, I, I, really, uh, I really enjoyed working uh, Using molecular mechanics to uh, to uh, as a validation for why certain stereoisomers are biodegraded faster than others, or why certain stereoisomers are more stable than others. That's that's one of the things I enjoyed. Nowadays, uh, I've enjoyed uh, more recently. I've enjoyed uh, looking at uh, critically at, at uh, how people do uh, kinetics, and uh, you know. Uh, source rock, uh, kerogen, and uh, oil and gas kinetics. And uh, those are sort of uh, some, some recent papers that I've published. I guess um, um, I mentioned biodegradation. I've been very interested in that. And I, I, also, I also have enjoyed uh, sort of vicariously uh, uh, working with students uh, you know, I don't, it's nice. I don't have to get my hands dirty doing all the work, but I can see what they're doing and, and, and help them. So at, at Stanford, you know, I'm a co-founder of our Basin and Petroleum System Modeling Industrial Affiliates Program, which is another sort of spinoff from, from geochemistry. It, it involves a lot of geochemistry, uh, but we have students doing all kinds of different studies uh, and geochemistry is important as input to those models, and it's also important to calibrate the output. So that's that's a lot of fun. So yeah, over the years, I mean, it's it's hard for me to summarize all the different things I've I've worked on. Um, uh, it's been a lot of fun, and uh, and I for me, uh, it's never been boring. It's it's never been well. You're going to work on this whether you like it or not. Uh, I the management would say, you know. What do you want to do? Or I would go to them and say, "This is what I'd like to do." And yeah, sure. What are you What are you talking to me for? Go do it. And th that was that was what was really exciting. Speaking of joys in his career, Ken shared a story about one of the times he taught and was in for a pleasant surprise. 
Also, I have to say, uh, uh, my students, uh, you know, I've had students, uh, I, I always like to relate a story. I, I, I was talking about some, some geochemical observation, geoscientific observation, and I felt pretty confident about the explanation that I, that I presented. And uh, one of my students in the audience put up his hand and uh, I called on him and he, uh, he stood up and he said, I'm sorry, Dr. Peters, that's not quite right. <laughs> and and uh, to me, that, that, that's fantastic. That, that is a fantastic response. Uh, we, we talked about it and, uh, you know, I learned some things and my student, I think, learned some things. I wasn't offended. In fact, I, I think it was a great compliment that a student would think of me as a colleague as opposed to, you know, some, some uh, glorified professor that you don't question. And I actually have, I've actually uh, pursued research avenues as a result of discussions like that with students who have suggested, gee, why, why are there two peaks there and only one peak here? Uh, gee, that's an interesting, that's an interesting, uh, uh, that's an interesting thing that I'd like to investigate. I published a paper on that with uh, compounds that are called diergostanes, diergostanes, and uh, uh, did some did some uh, molecular mechanics and some QSAR uh, to uh, identify those compounds in their elution order, and uh, it was really it was really interesting work. And it wouldn't have happened if a student hadn't said, well. Why are there two peaks there and only one peak there? It's uh, really incumbent on all of us as, uh, as scientists, even as students, to, to give back to our profession. You know, uh, for me, it's a two-way street because when I review a paper or when I present a talk at a meeting or when I do a meeting like this, you know, I'm, I, I, I hope that I'm having a positive influence on on somebody's uh, somebody's uh, decision, what they're going to do with 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 their with their uh, with their career. I I do know people who uh, who who say I, I don't have time to review papers. Uh, I don't have time to uh, to uh, you know I don't have time to give a talk at the next uh, uh, organic geochemistry meeting or the next AAPG meeting. I'm busy doing my job but you know really your job is doing those extra things that's what makes you a better scientist you know you don't get paid in fact in the industry i used to get flack sometimes from management saying well why are you writing this paper you know you you should be out finding oil and gas well uh <laughs> Fortunately, I, I didn't listen too closely to that because writing that paper made me a better scientist. It gave me even greater insight than I had when I, when I originally wrote the internal report and I was able to justify getting it published. So doing, doing those extra things uh, is not only enriching the, the culture, the scientific culture around you, it's enriching your own, your own career as well. It, it helps you to be a better balanced scientist. And I guess it's, it's tough to explain to some people that, that that is the case because I think many people, they, they, they don't want to do that extra, they don't want to do that extra work. They think that that's somehow going to reflect poorly on their, uh, their, their dedication to their job. Well, the bottom sort of the underlying the underlying fact there is that if you're published, if you're published, you are you are securing your position with the company rather than making it more vulnerable. Because the more other people know about what you do and how well you do it, the more secure your position. I've known people in my career in several of the companies that I work for that were really sharp, very good but nobody outside the company knew it. So those people, you know, uh, if they want to stay with that company for the rest of their career, that's fine. But if, if they want to move out and do something different, 
uh, or if they want a, a bigger salary or if they want you know, more opportunities, that's gonna be tough because they're gonna have to demonstrate that expertise without being able to show, here, here's a paper. Here's a paper that I wrote on this. Have you read this paper? Yeah. So uh, yeah, and, and teaching is part of that too. I mean, to me, uh, I, I, I get paid for teaching, but it's not, it's, you know, it's, 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 uh, it's not big money. I don't teach for the money. I teach because I know I'm helping students and I know uh, that they enjoy it as much as I do. Ken also spoke about the cyclic nature of the petroleum geochemistry industry. Uh, right now, as you know, uh, I'm a petroleum geochemist. And, you know, it, it's intensely, uh, I, I'm, I feel really intense about it because right now, any student looking at the petroleum industry is going gonna, is gonna, to, you know, it's shock and, and, and terror, right? Uh, the, the oil companies are suffering right now. Uh, they're actually laying people off. And, you know, that's something where the response for uh, most students is going to be, gee, I'm going to go into something else. Even though I'm interested in this, I'm going to go and be a, a medical doctor or I'm going to uh, go into, I'm going to be a, a janitor or whatever. <laughs> so, you know, but, but I think uh, I've had the perspective of more than 42 years in our industry. And I know that our industry is a cyclic industry. Uh, it goes up and it goes down. And when it goes up, there's there are people being hired. The companies are hungry for people. They're competing uh, to, to get good people. They're paying really high salaries. And then when it's down, like it is right now because of COVID, nobody's, uh, you know, very few people are using uh, petroleum to, to go on vacation, right? So th uh, there's less demand and uh, the price per barrel is down. So it's, it's one of those down, uh, down periods. Well, um, in 42 years uh, over my career, I saw about a dozen of these. I saw about a dozen ups and downs. And my experience has been that when students see a down, they say, well, I'm not gonna do this. I'm not gonna go into geology. I'm not gonna go into geochemistry. And then a few years later, when they graduate, we're on an upswing and it's, it's like the, the, the student interest is 180 degrees out of sync with the, the hiring and, and the firing, right? So um, I would say if, I would say really go as a student, go with where your heart wants you to go. If you love doing uh, geoscience, I personally can't think of another field that's more challenging, more rewarding, uh, and more satisfying than, than uh, being a geoscientist. But you have to really want to do that. If you are, if you're weak of faith, if you if you aren't really sure, then then consider doing something else. But you know, as a geoscientist, to me, um, uh, I wouldn't I wouldn't trade it. I wouldn't trade it for anything. Uh, so, so I would say, take as a student, take a look at the future. Think about the cyclic nature of our industry. After every one of these up and down cycles, you'll see the soothsayers, you know, on the internet or, or wherever, they'll say, well, that's the end of the petroleum industry. It's over. And I've seen this more than a dozen times. And they've been wrong every single time. Uh, I can guarantee you that uh, this cycle Will there'll be an up up, up cycle, and I, I can guarantee you that once again the petroleum industry is going to be shorthanded of students, shorthanded of people for doing interpretations, shorthanded of people for finding uh, more petroleum or doing more more geochemistry, and so there's going to be a hiring uh, deluge that that uh, that comes. the The difference is that over those 42 years, the the wavelength between the ups and the downs has varied. You know, it can be it could be six months or it could be, you know, two years. I think right now we're in one of these two-year type cycles where the end of this year uh, there, there will be no, another hiring, uh, another hiring frenzy. So uh, 
I have to be honest with students. Yes, it, it, looks, it looks tough. On the other hand, think about what you're gonna do if you choose another field. I always like to think about, for me as a, as a geoscientist, every time, I, every time uh, I was approached by management, it was a different question. Every time it's a different question. Can you help us find more oil in this basin? Can, can you explain why in this uh, field we have a lot of CO2 gas and another field we don't? Uh, and these different questions, it's like um, it keeps you excited about what you're doing because it's always a different challenge. Imagine being a, a medical doctor. And, you, you know, I mean, I don't want to put down medical doctors. I thought about being a medical doctor. Imagine doing the same operation 100,000 times in your career. <laughs> I mean, it would be, for me, that would be, uh, that would be very difficult. Um, the amount of freedom that you have in, in the industry for investigating uh, various geochemical and geoscience types of questions is remarkable. Uh, when you're a, uh, when you were a junior scientist, even when you're a junior scientist, they don't tell you exactly what you're going to do. They say, we have this question. Can you help us? And it's up to the individual, uh, the individual scientist to do that. That's a tremendous challenge and it's tremendously satisfying. Uh, it, you know, I, I would much rather have a job where um, I, I, uh, I look forward to Monday morning than a job where I look forward to Friday night when I can you know, go home for the weekend. So that, that's something I think every student needs to keep in mind. If you love what you do, go with your heart and, 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 and approach it aggressively. And that's, that's the best way because it, if you're not happy in your job, uh, I can't imagine a, a worse situation. You wanna be happy in what you do. And Ken imparted some advice for those making career and educational decisions today. Well, you know, uh, I like to tell a little story about, about my career. I sort of liken my career to uh, running across a swamp by stepping on the noses of a dozen snapping alligators, right? <laughs> so so it is. it can be an exciting ride. Uh, and the, the way you... The way you make it. I mean, they're going to be they're going to be people that are laid off. That that happens. The industry does that. The people that are retained are the people that are flexible, that uh, can adjust, can adapt. So, as an entering graduate student, I would say, yes, fine, go ahead and specialize. Take some really specialized courses and be really good at that. But don't forget the basics. Don't forget the fundamentals. You want to have fundamentals that make you a strong scientist, not just in a very narrow field, right? You want to be adaptable. So these companies are looking for people that are flexible. I can tell you as a fact, when you are hired on, say, to uh, in a petroleum company, uh, what you learned in college really isn't going to make that much difference. They're going to say, well, we're gonna rotate you and you're gonna do some seismic work now. And then we're gonna rotate you over here and you're gonna do some, some geochemistry. And then we're gonna rotate you over here and you're gonna, we're gonna see how well you like uh, economics and, and forecasting and risk analysis. So they're looking for people that are smart and the people that have those fundamental, uh, that have the fundamentals down, you know, one example I could give you is uh, a student that specializes in geophysics at the university and then is hired by an oil company. Well, geophysics in the oil industry is nothing like geophysics in, in, in academia. And it's, 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 it's similar with, with other uh, aspects of geoscience. I can, you know, if I, have a, if I had a gripe, that, uh, or a complaint that I could make about curricula at various universities, and I've been to a lot of universities, uh, it would be that they, they, they sometimes focus on the specialties and they don't really emphasize the basics, the basics that make 
uh, geoscientists viable in a competitive up and down market. So for example, um, one thing that I, I've seen at, at, at universities that I've, I've taught at is that uh, many of our students are from other countries. So English is not their primary language, right? And so there, there usually is a, a, a requirement for one course to take some basic English, but I think it should be more than that because you cannot emphasize enough how important communication is in, in retaining your, your job, right? If you can't communicate orally uh, and explain to management about this prospect, why we should do this, if you can't write uh, a paper that's gonna pass through review and get published, you're at an extreme disadvantage. So I think communication is, uh, it, it's a good idea to take additional courses in, in writing and, uh, and composition and in, in oral presentations. I think uh, many departments, I could go on uh, this for quite a while. I think many departments, um, you know, ignore some basic science that every scientist should have. For example, you will probably never see a chemometrics course being offered in a geology department, right? The geology department, the administration says, well, that's mathematics. That's something that the mathematics department should handle and it's ignored. But, you know, chemometrics, multivariate statistics, uh, harvesting, you know, harvesting uh, uh, big data, harvesting big data, that, that is, uh, that's chemometrics and that's also uh, computing. So a student who takes extra courses in multivariate statistics, you know, principal component analysis, hierarchical cluster analysis, partial least squares, alternating least squares, uh, and also in, in uh, data, you know, data manipulation and, and handling and interpretation using, uh, using by, by computing. Uh, th these, are, these are things that, add to the foundation of the, of the student that makes them more flexible. So when the company says, well, we're really not gonna have you do exactly what you learned in college, we're gonna have you do some of this and some of that, and we're gonna see if you float or sink. And they don't say that, but you, 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 you compete better if you can do that. I think in petroleum geochemistry, uh, every petroleum geochemist should have taken a year at least of organic chemistry a year at least of biochemistry, some genomics or genetics, and some microbiology, particularly uh, bacteria and, and archaea. Uh, these, are, these are important adjuncts to, to, uh, to doing petroleum uh, geochemistry. And I think a lot of departments don't, don't really instruct students in that way. You know the, the syndrome. Um, teachers teach what they know because they feel comfortable doing it. And the example I would give, again, I could probably get myself in trouble here is, uh, you know, when I was going to college, there were a lot of students who took igneous petrology. Okay, well, there were you know, 20 students taking igneous petrology, but there were no, there, there were, there's no up and down there. There's, there are virtually no jobs in igneous petrology. There's just a few out there in some of the mining companies and at some universities. So, I, I, I can't emphasize enough that it's, it's good to have a specialty. Yeah, if you want to be a mass spectroscopist, do that better than anybody else, but also have something you can fall back on. I can, gee, I can also do uh, data harvesting from big data. I, I can do uh, multivariate statistics. I can write papers that pass review without, you know, without uh, being rejected, and I can I can stand up in front of an audience and explain my work uh, concisely and succinctly and be convincing about it. That's an important thing, I think. We also asked Ken to reflect on his career. I would say, um, you know, it, it, I wouldn't have traded it for anything and everybody's different, but um, for me, the, the combination of uh, the diversity and the kinds of questions I got to work on, the freedom to work on pretty much what I wanted to work on, the, the, the 
the high caliber of the people that I had the opportunity to work uh, with through my career and uh, uh, the fun it has been to teach and to interact with younger, younger uh, people in the discipline has been, uh, wow, it's been fantastic. Sometimes I think, well, maybe I shouldn't have retired, but uh, yeah, well, you know, we've got to make room for, we've got to make room for the new, uh, for the new people. And we followed up by asking Ken what he was most excited about today. Uh, well, you know, um, I, I recently gave a talk at the University of Houston, a virtual talk that, that talked about some of those milestones in geochemistry. And certainly the field has evolved. Um, you know, uh, I think uh, there are topics that continue to be of interest, things like age-related biomarkers. You know, if you if you have an oil, can you tell something about the age of the source rock that that oil came from from the chemistry of the oil? That's a continuing uh, thing that's gonna that's gonna be uh, that's gonna continue for for years to come. I think. Um, uh, I think uh, there's there's certainly a lot of work in uh, in uh, diamondoids that's going on right now. A lot of the research, incidentally, right now is being done by service companies as opposed to the industry itself. That, that may change when we get to one of these ups in the, uh, in, in the cycle. Um, uh, but, but, you know, I think diamondoids are an exciting uh, area of study. And, and I've been involved in some of that work, along with Jeremy Dahl and, and, uh, and several others. Uh, supplying samples of, uh, of condensates that are really rich in diamondoids to look at those. The wonderful thing about those is you can use diamondoids to correlate gas condensate with black oil and to actually deconvolute mixtures uh, of the two, which is something really difficult to do with standard geochemical practice. Uh, one of the other things that I've been looking at recently uh, with interest, I haven't been involved in the research yet, is uh, is clumped isotopes. Uh, to me, that's a, a fascinating area, but I think it's it's still pretty young. It's pretty controversial. Uh, there's a lot of argument going on about whether you can use clumped isotopes, isotopologs of uh, methane and their distribution to predict temperature of the formation of the methane. Uh, but the question comes down to whether that is uh, an equilibrium effect, which many people in the literature accept, uh, or whether it is a kinetic, it is kinetically controlled. If it's equilibrium controlled, yeah, you can go in and the calculations are complex for methane even, but you can go in and calculate a temperature. And the way you do that is you calibrate with laboratory experiments. Laboratory experiments, they'll take um, uh, a nickel catalyst and add it to the methane and then heat it at various temperatures and times. The temperatures were, uh, as I recall, in the range of 200 to 500 degrees C because they're lab experiments to try to, to, try to uh, sort of extrapolate to, to nature. But you know, at those temperatures, we're dealing with uh, what, what looks like equilibrium. Uh, equilibrium effects between those isotopologs, right? C13, C12 carbon versus deuterium and hydrogen. You got four different hydrogens, so it could be four different deuteriums. So you got like a 10 or 12 different isotopologs of methane. And if you calculate, it's pretty complex calculation, but if you do the calculation and you use those uh, calibrations with the nickel catalyst, you can come up with equilibrium temperatures. The problem that I have seen uh, that people really need to work on is uh, that it doesn't seem to work at low temperatures. At low temperatures, at a low maturity uh, generation of methane gas, it looks like kinetics is, uh, kinetics is a lot more important. I haven't, uh, I haven't actually done any work in that area, but I do like to follow the literature. And that's another thing I like to do. We talked earlier about giving back is uh, I like to review papers. So I'm an associate editor for three different journals and I review for other journals as well. And sometimes it gets a little bit overwhelming, but 
I, I've never regretted, um, even though it's a thankless job. <laughs> and sometimes I have to say, and I'm, I'm anonymous here, uh, uh, it's a, I've never regretted doing it because you, you, uh, you learn a lot and many times you can help, particularly uh, uh, authors uh, where English isn't the primary language, I can help them with the grammar as well as the, the scientific input. So yeah, I think, uh, you know, diamondoids, clumped isotopes, those are sort of the future. Um, there, there are many, many problems in geochemistry that need to be addressed. I have to tell one story uh, toward the end here that, that you know, is, is I think relevant to this. When I was a junior scientist um, at the lab, there was a meeting where the management came down to meet at the lab. And uh, I gave a talk, I remember. And, and after the talk, I was walking down the, the hallway and, uh, in the other direction uh, was a vice president and he was walking sort of parallel uh, to me, by me. And as he walked past me, he said, say, say, you're Ken Peters, aren't you? You're the, you're a geochemist. You're the geochemist. And I said, yes, yes, I'm, I'm Ken Peters. And he said, uh, isn't it true that geochemistry is a mature science? And I've, I've all I've always regretted I've always regretted my answer to that question. You know, it was it was uh, something like, well, no, there's a lot of things we don't know yet. We we still need, you know, when someone says that you have a mature field or a mature basin, that means it's over, right? Uh, and and I, I remember I remember saying, well, no, no, I, I probably should have shaken him by the collar and said, you know, there are a tremendous number of things we just don't know enough about. That could really make a difference in in the field of energy, uh, uh, finding finding uh, new energy, and uh, that that's something I think that uh, that everybody needs to keep in mind. Uh, the more we learn, the more we realize that we need to know more. And there are so many questions in petroleum geochemistry uh, and in biogeochemistry. Uh, that need to be answered before we can use uh, or paleoclimatology. There are lots of questions that need to be answered yet. A lot of things are still controversial. Some are very exciting, like I find, uh, you know, clumped isotopes very exciting, but I also see that there's a lot more work that needs to be done. And that's why I think funding uh, for these sorts of, of projects is absolutely critical. And uh, that's, that's another issue now is, is, getting funding for projects if you're in academia, or even if you're in the industry right now, getting funding, I'm sure, for doing what you want to do is, is maybe not as easy as it, as it used to be. And of course, to end, we had to ask Ken about what advice he'd give to organic geochemists today. Well, probably the first thing that comes to mind is perseverance. Perseverance. Uh, and also, um, one of the themes of courses that I teach Maybe it could be stated more, more subtly, but uh, one of the themes is don't trust anybody, right? <laughs> don't trust anybody. Uh, I have students that, that say, oh, well, this, this parameter says that that's the maturity of this sample. And I say, how do you know that? You know, look at multiple, multiple parameters to make a decision. That's one of the reasons why I think chemometrics is so important that, that students that students learn. We need to uh, we need to be perseverant. Don't don't give up on something. Keep 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 at it. And we need to be uh, questioning. We need you know. Uh, I wouldn't say don't necessarily don't trust anybody, but I would say don't trust what your professor says. You know, question what your professor says. Don't don't trust what you think the data says. Look at the data in greater detail. Look at all the different parameters. Use that concept of multiple working hypotheses, right? A lot of us don't have that basic stuff that you should have as a scientist. Uh, you, you, you don't go into a project thinking, this is the mechanism that explains what I'm seeing and I'm looking for the data to support it. No, you're gonna go in and say, here are three or four different possible explanations now, what do the what do the data say to me about those explanations? That's a that's a fundamental uh, 
that's a fundamental rule in science that I think a lot of us sort of forget about sometimes. So uh, yeah, be perseverant, don't give up, don't trust anybody and use, use multiple lines of evidence to support uh, your, your thought on which of uh, several different possible explanations might be the best hypothesis. Well, you know, I could go on talking forever, but I, I think we pretty much covered uh, what would be of interest, I think, to a student trying to make a decision about, about uh, what they want to do is, you know, you have to use some courage. You have to go where your heart is. Uh, and I think we, we covered that pretty well. Everybody's different. Everybody needs to make their own decision about what they truly love. But the bottom line for everybody is do what you love. That's the most important thing. It's, it's not how much money you make. Uh, it's not how prestigious the position might be. You, you, you want to do what you love and uh, what you can spend a career doing. Again, there's serendipity involved, but there's also, there's also a conscious decision that can be made. And, and uh, be perseverant. If you really want to do that, if you love that, go after it and, uh, and seek it out. And there it is, folks. Thanks so much for joining us today, and a sincere thank you to Dr. Ken Peters for speaking with us and for sharing with us his insights and the story of his career. And now for a special message. Hi, this is Ben Vegas from the Summons Lab at MIT. If you're enjoying the Biomarkers podcast and would like to know more about upcoming episodes, then please follow us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Thanks for supporting the show. Next time, we'll speak with Jürgen Rollcutter, professor of organic geochemistry at the University of Oldenburg and co-author of Echoes of Life. To tune into our work so far, go to summons.mit.edu backslash biomarkerspodcast. Biomarkers is produced in the Summons Lab at the Massachusetts Institute of Technology.